But that energy of being a mama, I feel like carries out through all my work. And my, my mission now as a medicine woman is really about empowering other women and men too. Now I have a few men clients coming in. Um, really about empowering women on their journey. And a lot of that is mothering. You know, a lot of that is nurturing, nourishing, encouraging. And, and a good mother also will, will call you out, you know, <laughs> and say, and, and see the best in you, see the light in you, and encourage you to, to go for that. Thanks for joining me on episode number five of the Mad Awakening podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Maddox, and today I'm so excited to share with you this beautiful, deep conversation with Suzanne Zephyr. Suzanne is a medicine woman. She is a cacao and flower tea facilitator, and she helps women become their embodied self again. She, in my words, helps reflower them and help women bloom into their fullest potential, their true power. And so it's only fitting that I premiere this episode the day after International Women's Day. You know, to me, these these sorts of days are beautiful, but they're also a little bit uh, interesting to me because every day women around the world should be celebrated, should be revered, should be honored. Uh, these days help bring attention to that and... They help remind us of just how beautiful and important women are in society. And so it was a such an honor and a pleasure to speak with Suzanne. Not only is she a facilitator, a coach of women... She's also a devoted, loving mother. And she's had such a profound journey in becoming a mother and her experiences in different countries, working at the top of the corporate ladder. And it was just so fascinating to hear how she became the embodied powerful woman that she is today. And so I know that this conversation will light something within you, will inspire you. I have all of Suzanne's links in the show notes if you'd like to connect with her deeper, uh, be a part of her cacao and flower tea facilitator training that she offers her signature program. She also has a free women's group that is linked below. And I was really 
honored to be a part of a recent event that she had called Sacred Touch, in which we all got uh, the lesson in what touch really means and how powerful it is um, connecting with ourselves in a deeper way, connecting with others, with strangers on a deeper way as well. And so Suzanne has so much to offer and I am just delighted to share this conversation with you. I will admit before we get started <laughs> that I try to uh, facilitate the highest quality conversations, Joe Rogan-esque sound uh, <laughs> in my own personal background of video and film production. That's just where I sort of geek out about all the things. Um, there were a little bit of issues with Suzanne's mic throughout the podcast, but um, rest assured that her voice and her message came through beautifully. Uh, this is just a personal note of mine uh, in the strive to perfection that I seek uh, with this podcast, which of course is impossible, but I, like I said, I like to provide you the highest quality audio and the deepest conversations. And so with that, I am excited to have Suzanne back on for part two uh, very soon. And so with that, I present to you my conversation with Suzanne Zephyr as we discuss reflowering the divine feminine. So I hope you enjoy it. Moving slower, more intentional with the white, you know, just savoring the moments a little bit longer. So we have a fireplace going. We have some really lovely tea, some rose in it, as well as some berries, some hibiscus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of set the mood uh, for you, Suzanne. So I appreciate you uh, sharing this conversation with me uh, and your time and uh, getting to know you a little bit deeper. I was just at an event with you uh, a week ago. Sacred Touch. Sacred Touch. And it's such a, a beautiful experience in, in movement, in, um, yeah, the, the art of touch and getting, to, getting comfortable with that, getting comfortable with touching ourselves, touching another in a, you know, non-sexual way, completely just loving, open, present way, um, and so I found that uh, experience really beautiful and I appreciate you for hosting that experience with us. I kind of struggle to 
on podcasts, you know, it's like, okay, here's Suzanne. She's a blah, blah, blah. You know, you're someone that I, uh, I can't really exactly for good reason. Like just, okay, here's what you do. You just sort of offer things from your being. So, for the sake of the listener, what are some of the, like, how would you describe yourself? Uh, I struggle with that as well because I feel like I've, I've lived a very multifaceted life and I've, I've had many roles in this life and I carry many roles simultaneously. Um, so if we were to think of our roles as, as a suit, I have a very big closet. <laughs> but I think the two, two descriptions are coming to me right now that are like at the forefront of how I would express myself in the world, the, the two kind of roles that I feel most aligned with. And one is a medicine woman. And I feel like that covers a breadth of the things that I do. And for me, a medicine woman means a woman, someone expressing in the feminine, who is sharing her medicine in the world. And the, the medicine that I share comes across in many forms, but I think ceremony, like putting it all together in ceremony, whether that's dance, movement, sound healing, plants, flowers, cacao, a medicine woman who creates ceremony is, is I think, a good description of, of what I do. And um, the other role that, that really is an encompassing role in my life right now is that of mom. And it is much more to me than just being a mother of my son. And he is my absolute priority, joy in my life, my biggest teacher. And, you know, that is the relationship that is, is perhaps my first priority following my own, my own, my own heart. Um, but that energy of being a mama, I feel like carries out through all my work. Um, my, my mission now as a medicine woman is really about empowering other women and men too. Now I have a few men clients coming in, um, really about empowering women on their journey. And a lot of that is mothering. You know, a lot of that is nurturing, nourishing, encouraging, and, and a good mother also will, will call you out, you know, <laughs> and say, and, and see the best in you, see the light in you and encourage you to, to go for that. So yeah, mother and medicine woman are two that really mm-hmm. resonate with me. I love that. And I love that you commented on the fact that, that men are reaching out to you as well. And, um, because I think. I know for me and and so many men, like we need to connect more, n- not just with our feminine, but the our own mother, our own mother within. I feel like that's that's been something that's been missing from a long time in the collective, ma- uh, you know, masculine men, and uh, j- just how powerful that is and. And I, I know for me, I grew up with, uh, raised by uh, primarily my mother. And there were so many blessings in that. 
experience. And growing up, I had to be very, I was naturally very comfortable around the feminine and around feminine energy. And it was only later that I had to be, come back into balance, you know, and connect more with my masculine side. But <clears throat> I know for so many women, they are, for a multitude of reasons in our society, they are perhaps feel unsafe to dive deep into their own femininity and um, have to live in, more in their masculine side most of the time. And so that to say, I just think that what you're offering is, is so powerful on a collective level. And I come back to the word flowering. You know, you're helping women perhaps like reflower themselves. And something else I was percolating on before this conversation was a unfortunate term that we can use in society, which is the first time a woman makes love, there's a term called, oh, she's deflowered. As if her, her flower has been removed. As if her power has been taken away. And mind you, there's no, there's, there's no term for the, for the male side for this experience. And so as someone who works with flowers and is helping women connect with their own flower, they're helping them bloom, uh, what are some of the thoughts that, that come to mind with that? I had never thought about that term deflower in terms of the work I do and flowers. And it's, it's interesting that that hasn't come up because I'm always looking at the wisdom of nature and the wisdom of flowers to give teachings and to show us the way. Um, I feel like Mother Nature is our, our greatest teacher. And words are so powerful and we are casting spells with our spelling. We are, when we say something like to deflower a woman, Wow. Like that says a lot about our society. It says a lot about the way that we view women's most sacred treasure, the temple of their own body and the yoni being like the, the heart of that, being the center of that. And the idea that we could deflower a woman, take away her flower, take away her, her blossoming in the world. That's a, that's a, that's something to really think on a bit. And I, you know, I see that. I see that in society. I see that women in a very, in the Western world, in a masculine dominated society are, you know, taught from the time they're little girls um, that their role in the world is to be nice and to be good and to serve men. Mm -hmm. And in, in so many ways, 
Um, we as, as women, and men do this too, it's not unique to, to women, but I'm going to talk about um, the, this from a woman's perspective. Women are taught you need to find a man who's going to provide for you and exchange for you, like doing the housework and taking care of the kids, or you need to get a job or you're making money for a company and you're taking a fraction of that home. And I feel like this is in, in, in a way, a form of prostitution, right? We're prostituting our feminine energy and our feminine graces in exchange for food and shelter and in exchange for, um, for pennies on a dollar in the workforce. And I just want to put a caveat here. I think there is nothing wrong with a woman having a man provide for her and take care of her so that she can be a perhaps mother or be in that flourishing aspect of herself. And there's nothing wrong with a woman being driven in a career. But there's a very big difference to working in a career that you don't feel that your feminine gifts are being expressed and you're just being used and you have to be there every day at 7.38 in the morning. And I was in this role. I've, I've been a corporate oil trader. I've, I've built restaurants across the Middle East. And I felt like my life force was being used to serve for a, a, a cause that I actually wasn't aligned with. Now, if I was in a, a role in a work that had took into account a more cyclical nature of being a woman and was aligned, then that would be an alignment for me. And um, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of the work that I do with women is, if we want to use the word reflowering, I may, I may start using that, is taking them back to the center of who they are, their deepest desires, the longings of their heart, and allowing them to have that, first of all. Say, your desires are pure and bright and good and holy. And that the art that wants to be born in you is right and good and true. And you get to own that. And you get to want what you want. You get to want what you want. And a lot of women have been taught we can't want what we want. We can't have sexual desires. We can't have this. We need to be, you know, a virgin. I love another definition of virgin. It goes back, I believe, to the Greek. And a virgin is a woman whole unto herself. A woman whole into herself. So let's take back that deflowering and let's reflower women and say, come back into the, the wholeness of the creatrix and the artist and the, the, the deep desires that you have as a woman. And let's find a way to put those forward into the world in a way that, that feels aligned, good, that feels that, that's monetarily benefit, beneficial. You know, so many of our gifts as women, like caretaking and um, doing these sort of things, have very little value in our society. Women go and work corporate jobs and, you know, we're paid, uh, I can't remember what the percentage is now, but, you know, 20, 30% less than men for equal positions. So I feel like it's, it's really important for us to, to take that power back. But with my work with flowers and bringing that in, with beauty, with grace, with our femininity. It doesn't have to be a, I can do anything you can do better and I'm going to compete with you. It's, it's a different energy. And perhaps our, our mothers and grandmothers needed that energy of, you know, you, you've been using me, I'm angry and I'm pissed off and I want to be free and I want to be equal. But I like to take it a step further and say, we are absolutely equal. And at the same time, at the same time, we are different. Yes. Hmm. So well said. So many things. 
So one of the things you mentioned was your uh, your experience working in the corporate world, working in oil. Um, that's quite a journey that you've been on. You've, you've lived in several different countries. So how does one go from being an oil trader to becoming a medicine woman? Yeah, I love that you asked that because I, I wanted to touch on some of the, the previous concepts about masculine, feminine energy and how that shows up in our life. And my unique story, my, my walk through, through this earth has, uh, has been a very adventurous one. Um, and I feel like I've lived multiple lifetimes in this one lifetime. And I came from, I came from a, a poor family in Oklahoma. I had a brother who was handicapped and there were six kids and I always wanted to see the world. And I developed because of a lot of challenges in childhood, this warrior spirit. And I was, um, you know, the moon in Sagittarius and I've got a lot of Mars is in Sagittarius. I've got a lot of that energy in me of just an explorer. And, um, yeah, I developed a really strong inner masculine. I'm a masculine warrior who um, was partly born completely out of necessity. It was like, I need to survive in this world and I'm going to do what I need to do to survive in this world. And so in my, uh, for like 10 years of my life, you know, college and in my twenties, that this time period, I feel like I had a very cultivated masculine energy. Now, unfortunately, I think some of that was, some of it was a healthy masculine energy and some of it was uh, a not so healthy masculine energy. It was, it was the more toxic masculine, like, you know, succeed at all costs, ambitious and, you know, and it wore me out. It wore me out. And, and, but with that energy and with that, you know, I, I did my, my business degree, uh, did multiple business degrees in MBA and uh, traveled over 50 countries, six different continents. I lived 10 years in the Middle East. I lived in, I lived in Argentina. I lived in Spain. Did, did a lot of um, exploring and working. And I, I moved to Dubai. It was 2000, 2009, beginning of 2009 when I went. And I feel like it was at that time, it was like the epicenter of <laughs> um, masculinity. So like let's say maybe toxic masculinity in the world, they were building the world's biggest tower. It's like we're gonna build the biggest, tallest phallus in the world. Yeah. You know, like mine is bigger than yours. Like, right. And it was this, um, you know, I, I threw myself into this uh, incredible, in a lot of ways, uh, city, uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi. I lived in both that were very much about achievement and and you know, setting a goal and anything is possible. And I've, you know, been doing all my, all my steps to get to that. And I, I, I really excelled in that world. And, uh, from the outside, from the outside, I excelled. I had the money I had, um, I was an executive in a, in a large company. Uh, I was uh, involved with one of the biggest hospitality, private hospitality deals ever done in that area. I, um, when I was doing oil trading, I was flying all over the place and negotiating massive deals and on the spot cargo market. And, um, 
I built myself up to a point where I was like, okay, now I've kind of, I've kind of made it as far as this is what I envisioned. I, I got, I had the vision. I, I created it. Had it, you know, beautiful villa, a gorgeous man, and I had, you know, I, I had it right. And I was like doing business class flights to to um, the Maldives on the weekends, mm-hmm. and um, I remember sitting in my office looking out over the ocean, and I had the the Burj Khalifa, which is the world's tallest tower over in the other direction and had these high heels on and they hurt my feet, you know, and I'd take them off and I would like slip on my Havaianas at my desk. And I, I remember those shoes. I remember like sometimes I would go on the weekends, you know, out to the desert and I'd have the, the flip flops on. And there came a moment in my life where I was like, I don't want to wear high heels anymore. I want to wear Havaianas because I feel like that's where my heart is. And, and I, I was there doing this work and, you know, beautiful concept that I worked with, this restaurant chain, but it wasn't the most healthy food in the world. And I was like, in my heart, I knew, I've known since I was a child, I'm a healer. Like, I, I want to, my, and by healer, I mean someone who's devoted to a healing path and healing our planet. And, and I knew in my heart that I want to contribute to the well-being of the world, not the rape and pillage of, of Mother Earth. And uh, I knew there was this wild woman inside of me because she whispered to me in the desert, and I knew she was there. And I was, I was willing to throw all of that away in pursuit of that wild woman. And the day that I made that decision to, to leave that life, and to leave that masculine-oriented life, was a day that I was I was negotiating. It was about a forty million dollar deal. My um, my at the time my boss was selling this uh, apartment building, and I knew all the right steps. There were these men coming in from one from Egypt and and uh, a couple other Arab countries, and I'm the only woman there um, in that boardroom, and I knew all the right steps. Hi, ahalan wasahalan, welcome. Can I get you a coffee? Can I get you a tea? I knew how to to work the room. I I knew the financial aspects of it. I knew you know the the number of, of apartments in the building. I knew like how much they could be rented out for. What was the cash flow project? Like I knew it all. Snap, snap, snap. You know. And I remember, and it was a very precise moment walking there. You know, offering tea, and I thought to myself. I feel like I'm a trick show pony. I'm here in somebody else's circus, tied with my golden handcuffs, with my salary, you know, to, to survive, making money for someone else. And I've learned this part so well. I'm so, you know, I'm brilliant at this. But that wild woman called me, and I, in that moment I thought, and I'd been out in the desert in my Jeep Wrangler, and I was like, I'm nobody's trick show pony. I'm a wild mare. Like, I'm a wild desert Arabian yes. <laughs> and that that catapulted me into a deep dive into the feminine so I was uh, at that time you know it had been there but I, I dropped it all I quit my job went off to do a yoga teacher training dance training meditation um, I said I was going to take a six month to a year sabbatical it was about probably two years <laughs> it ended up being ten years that I really was going into this inner feminine of, of mine and exploring that and excavating that. What does that mean? And I feel like that journey led me to birthing my son, 
wrap back around to being a mother. And, you know, when I was in my corporate role, that I would have thought, oh, you know, give me an epidural and, and <laughs> let's schedule a C-section. That sounds horrific. I cannot do that. But my journey into the feminine led me to going to um, an island in the Pacific Rim, birthing my son in the jungle next to the monkey forest in a town called Ubud, which means healing, to the, to the, to the sound of um, Galangan Kuningan, like um, Balinese temple music in the background at 11, 11 in the morning in a pool of water with flowers. And I feel like that was the, the ultimate, as to, as to date, that was the ultimate flowering of my feminine expression. Um, and that was the most empowering journey of my entire life. Um, yeah, so, so what's come from this now, though, where I am now, you know, deep dive in the masculine, deep dive into the feminine, is the union of those two. And what I will say that is just, I, I want to share with every, every woman and man that I meet, to the extent that we, we want to develop one side of ourselves, the feminine for me, like to the, the extent that women want to express their femininity, we cannot do that without also working on our masculine. And having a strong, healed masculine, like, and how does this look in our work and business? Like, you know, having, having schedules, having a strategy, like do it, you know, doing the devotional task to get to a goal. And the more that we are able to have that in our lives, the more we can hold space for the feminine to flourish. We need both. And I, that's, that's really just dropped in, in an embodied way for me in the past like year. So I'm excited to see. And as that dropped in, you know, I had for a while, I had only men clients and then I switched to, to just, oh, oh, it was kind of a bit and then all women. And as I shifted that, I had men that I did not market to <laughs> come to me and say, hey, I'm interested in one of my coaching with you. And um, yeah, I'm still, I feel like I'm, my work is more devoted to, 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 to women and, and empowering them because I feel there's a, a greater need for, for that right now. But I'm also really embracing my brothers and, and that energy of the masculine. Yeah. That was a long <laughs> reply no, to a short question. So beautiful journey that you've been on and yeah and i think it's the union of the masculine and the feminine on a on a grander scale like like what you were talking about with you know not one side versus the other or you know let's the the rise of the feminine and expense of the masculine shunning the masculine it's about this union this this uh serpentine energy, you know, uh, wrapping around each other. I, I often, as I'm speaking and talking and teaching, whatever it may be, like the vision of that helix, the DNA strand, the caduceus, you know, the, this interweaving comes up for me a lot. Like that, that emblem is where we are. And I, I want women to rise. I want women to step into their power, but I'm, I'm fully aware that we don't rise without the men. We rise together. We rise together because uh, if the if the masculine if the feminine is seen as the flow of water, the masculine is the banks to that river. And there's so many examples in nature how these two love each other and want to be be in union together, want to devote to one another. 
And, and when we really see that, first of all, with ourselves, when, you know, I, I demonized my masculine self for many years. Mm. As I was, you know, flurly, whirling about, flourishing in my feminine, you know, and, you know, just really, and I needed to do that. I needed to dive into that for my own personal journey. Um, you know, I was doing various workshops and things, and I would just really avoid the masculine tasks and anything that sounded corporate or anything that sounded like that. I was like, no, no, I will not go down that path, the, the masculine, the toxic corporate world. And uh, now I really see how how we need that. I need that. And and this harmony that that is coming within my own heart of saying, Yes, these, this part of me, this part of me is also valid and important. And when I see it in the world, like how much we need our brothers, how much we need our fathers, how much we, we need that in our lives so that we can flourish. That's right. That's right. And I love how you commented on the, um, the business side of things too, because as I'm moving into my entrepreneurship journey I've lived in mostly in my feminine for a long time and just being comfortable with the flow of things and that's why I gravitated more towards uh, pre-built structures in life okay I mean this is or just gravitating towards the normal way of doing things. You go to college, you have the structure around college, and you uh, you know you turn in your homework, you get the grades, you move on. Your job, you go you go there. Your boss tells you what to do, you do it. You get your paycheck. It's, the structure is there, and as you move into entrepreneurship, you have to create your own structure, and that's what trips up a lot of people in that process. And I think in, in just my short time of, of diving into that myself, I have seen like how much you do need the interwoven of the masculine and the feminine energies to really succeed. It's that structure and that flow. It's that, um, you know, there's that experiment um, done with children on a playground. I don't know if you um, are familiar with this one, but uh, the, ch- the children had a playground, but there was no fence around the playground. And they were scared to go out and play. And it was only until they could see the structure of the fence that they felt free to go and play. And so... It's that idea of, of freedom, too, I think, that comes with the, the balance of the masculine and the feminine as well. It's, there's a quote by Gab- Gabrielle Roth, and she says, it takes discipline to be a free spirit. And I, I like to look at the etymology of words again with their spelling. We are casting spells. And if you look at discipline, um, come to the word disciple. What is a disciple? Someone who, who follows a teacher, follows a truth. And I think about you know, the disciples, perhaps, of Jesus. And they were devoted out of love. A disciple devoted to a cause. And they follow effortlessly for that love. And if we can think of discipline and to like, you know, get that negative connotation as 
just a devotion to that which I love. And, and, and invoking that sort of the masculine presence in, in our businesses, in our lives. Um, I, was, I was at the, the gym the other day, or at a bar class rather, and uh, I'm doing a self-love workshop on, on Sunday. I was really thinking about self-love, and I thought, we think it's like all, you know, taking a bath and getting our flow. Self-love is having the discipline to say, you know what, right now I would like to sleep in and have a cookie, but I love myself enough that I'm going to go do this bar class that I know is going to be healing and more wholesome for my body. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, that discipline. And, and when we're starting an entrepreneurial journey, I think because most of us have been raised in a public school system where the, the point of that system was to train us to go, you know, be drones in, in somebody's factory. The point of that education is not, in, in most cases, I mean, there's, there's some good education about it. But a lot of it is, as Pink Floyd put it, another brick in the wall. Mm-hmm. Like we are, we're just trying to train people to, to fit into the system that we want to. So I don't think it's our own fault that, you know, really whenever people say, you know, I want to, I want to be an entrepreneur, I want to start something, I want to do this. And if we've been in a system that's been telling us we can't and we shouldn't and like this is how it's done for a long time, it's very difficult to, to make that transition into being, a, I like to call it a soul premier, like someone offer, operating mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur from a place of soul, from a place of heart and bringing our, our creative gifts, our, our soul gifts into the world. And um, I think that's, that's where, yeah, structure, strategy. Um, and, and support are really important. And I know you, with, with your work and, uh, and what you do, it is something that really helps people to to put that in place so that they can be successful in their in their feminine flow. And as we do everything in life, I feel like we need to remember nobody ever does it alone. We That's all right. need that support. And I certainly you know wouldn't have got where I am if I didn't have an incredible amount of mentors and teachers uh, support. Tech support <laughs> yeah. to 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 help us implement those those masculine structures in our lives, and um, yeah, as as we do that, I feel like we can retrain the way we think about them, so they're not bad or you know these chop wood carry water tasks are not something that we disdain, but rather part of our spiritual practice. That's it's right. Something that we lean into with joy. That's right. Yeah. Chop wood carry water. Reach enlightenment. Chop wood, carry water. <laughs> uh, so let's let's uh, dive into a, a, a bit of your work, a bit of your work around flowers, around cacao, and well, there's a lot of people who don't even understand what cacao is. Like we're not talking about Hershey's milk chocolate here. You know, that's, and I've all, even as a kid, I noticed, oh, why is one called cocoa and why is one called cacao and what's the difference between that? Um, so how did your relationship with cacao start? I feel like cacao shows me. She just kept coming into my, into my awareness and, um, and being shared with me in different ways. Uh, I actually was working with, so let's start with what is cacao, just for people yeah. who might not know. Right. Theobroma cacao is the, um, the scientific name of the, the, the chocolate tree, so the, the tree that 
and cacao means chocolate beans are grown in, theobromin cacao. Theobromin means literally food of the gods. Mm. And uh, it's, from, it's from Central and South America. And it, it received this name because for, for thousands of years, by the Olmecs, Aztecs, and Mayans, uh, it's been used ceremonially in, in various ways. And it's a very powerful plant. The difference between like the Hershey's milk chocolate bar that you might eat versus cacao is the level of processing and additives that are gone into that. So the raw cacao beans, the ceremonial grade cacao, and, and I could talk about this for a whole year, but <laughs> I'm trying to get the top line, yeah. the top line here. Like ceremonial grade cacao and, and cacao that we use uh, for for this healing qualities and benefits has not been roasted over a certain temperature. It hasn't been alkalized. There's a lot of processing that goes, like chemical processing that goes into turning the cacao beans into, into chocolate. And then adding things like you know sugar and emulsifiers and all the junk that gets put sure. into our food to turn open a Kit Kat bar. Sure. And um, where cacao, uh, when we talk about cacao that we're using ceremonially or for our health, it's it's the the raw cacao beans. They've, they've gone through a process of fermentation and and drying out so that we can reuse the transport them have them around the world, and it has a host of benefits, both physically and spiritually. And uh, yeah, I started working with cacao in the Middle East. I had beautiful teachers that, that came from South America, uh, or the Americas, and um, others that were from Asia. It's a plant that started in, in South America, Central America, but is now grown all around the equator in many different countries. Hmm. And so it came to me there, and uh, I then moved to Bali, and I actually grew cacao trees there for a while. And for one year, I sat every single day with the main cacao tree in my garden and meditated. And sometimes that was a five-minute meditation, sometimes it was a three-hour meditation. And uh, yeah, I cacao was the first plant medicine that really I developed a relationship with, mm. and. I, I feel that animals and plants are have a consciousness of their own. And uh, have, I, I use this example a lot for people. They say, because for some people it sounds quite woo-woo to have a relationship with a plant and, or to like, derive some sort of um, wisdom teaching from a plant. And I say, okay, if I, if I show you a sunflower right now, how does it make you feel? Mm. Everyone says, joyful, happy, bright. That is the energetic um, signature of that plant, even without ingesting it, without having it, just that, that energy. Mm. If I show you a red rose, like, how's that? Mm. It's romantic, um, heart expansive, and that's, that's the energy of the rose. And, and cacao, very similarly, has an energetic um, and spiritual fingerprint, and it also has the physical, and they're, they're connected. And so, cacao, I, I think it's been 10 years now that I've been working with it ceremony. Mm. Uh, and it's been five years that I have been teaching a course, which at first began with just cacao, and then I added in um, these medicinal flowers that, that can also be used to make elixirs and drinks and that we can use in ceremony. And I, I love working with these plants because I feel like and we all, as a medicine woman, we all have a medicine. 
mess in there, if you will. And and we put in there, oh, I do sound healing, or I teach yoga, and I do movement practice, and I'm a therapist. I, you know, we, we put our, our, our things in our medicine bag and kind of mix them up to make our own concoctions. And I have been really drawn to the plant world because it's, it's, I feel like it's nice to have something tangible. And again, on a feminine path, we're about the all of everything, Shakti swirling about, and, and creating a ceremony, and it definitely has a masculine structure that's part of it. But you know, invoking all the senses, the touch, the type, the taste, the, mm. the sound, this sensual of the body, of the senses, experience, a very feminine experience. And so cacao, and I work with blue lotus, I work with rose, I work with jasmine, hibiscus, saffron, these are some of the main flowers that I developed a relationship with and, and share in the ceremony and share in my coursework, develop wisdom teachings from, uh, and, and it, I like that tangible aspect. And I like feeling that, I don't know, it's like, it's like I have an ally. If I go to do a, a lecture or a talk and I say, I'm going to talk about self-love, it's just me, uh, I, I can do that. Yeah. But if I can bring my friend on, she warms that space up, and I feel like I have an ally in how I'm, how I'm presenting and sharing. And so, with, with the, the cacao and flowers, like my signature program, the thing that I have, you know, my baby that I have poured the most of my love and energy and time into is this uh, wild cacao and flower tea facilitator training. And it is. It's an amalgamation of practices that I've gleaned from the six continents all over the world and many different teachers. It's an amalgamation of that. And while we are learning to use these tools, and I give all the the, uh, the templates and, and the things that are needed to, to understand these tools and to develop a relationship with those tools, ultimately we are developing our gifts as medicine. Our own unique signature as a as a person who is uh, expressing as as a, as a healer, and uh, it's hard to sometimes some of these words might carry, carry certain connotations. And healer is one that I just feel like, Jesus, <laughs> and and I think it's more about a healer is more about creating space so that other people can heal themselves. Mm. Healer, and yeah, that uh, that course came to me and was birthed and, and sold out the first the first time I offered it when I was eight months pregnant. Wow. And I feel like that's very significant because I shifted in my energy from being the one who was, you know, I wanted to get more people to come to my events and share that in that way, me as the teacher, even to, to an audience, to I want to empower others. I want to want to mother others. Mm. And you know, if you if you, I, I felt like also my, my my time and energy was 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 less because I now have to devote this time and energy to this little being that needed me to survive. Mm. And so I thought, you know, if I could train three people to do what I do, and each of those three people can reach a hundred people, and I reach three hundred people, versus me trying to reach right. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's um, and and the course keeps evolving with me, growing with me, and I've offered it in various ways, like 
Yeah, yeah. So there's someone who definitely connects with your energy out there and they I'm sure they do. I'm sure everyone will when they listen to this. They they're really just getting started. They you know, the idea of connecting with with plants and and flowers is a bit foreign to them but they're very just intrigued and interested like what are some some ways perhaps that they can or things they can add to their daily routine that to to start even developing more connection with with these plants and with these flowers so, if you're up for it, I would love to do just a, like a few minutes of a, uh, let's call it a tea meditation. You're going to be a with us today. Yes. And just to show, like, what is a practice that will help me develop this connection with the plant kingdom? What, what is a way that I can do that? What is, you know, like, maybe I don't want to go take a, a course and, like, do all that, but, but if, if, if someone has an intriguing that. We have tea here, so I'll just get my tea. So we'll do just a a one-minute practice or a couple-minute practice that you could do every single morning. And uh, I love to do this with with flower teas, with herbal teas, because I have that direct connection with with the the plants. Or cacao, cacao I think, is a great alternative to coffee. Um, it has a lot more nutrients in it. Coffee, I don't think, has any nutrients in it. And theobromine, I feel like, is a is a better stimulant than than caffeine. It doesn't give you so many jitters. So, a little ritual that that I like to do when I, you know, whenever I I've made my cup of tea, I've made my coffee, or sorry, my my cacao, or whatever it may be. So just add intentionality and awareness to that. Uh, I love. Thich Nhat Hanh has a quote that's, when you drink your tea, drink your tea as if the whole axis of the world turned upon that cup of tea. And so often we, you know, we just, we're chugging whatever we're drinking and we're eating a snack and we're going out the door. And I feel like this hurried mentality creates a, more stress and, and more hurry. It's, it's just like a, and, and time is an illusion. And sometimes if we slow down a little bit, even in the midst of being so hurried, we'll find that our time expands. Mm-hmm. We are time masters and we have that capacity to expand time in our life. So, so yeah, here we have a really beautiful tea that Josh made for us. And it has hibiscus, which is one of the main flowers in, in, uh, my program and rose also in there and I think a few other beautiful helper flowers really beautiful red color and so what I what I, what I would invite us to do right now and and if you're listening to this or this is something you you think of to do in the morning is to just drop into a little tea meditation a little cacao meditation and really focus all of our awareness and our presence and our attention into this present moment right here right now and for me, that starts with, with, first of all, closing my eyes. So I go inward and pay more attention to the other senses that I have. And then to feel the cup. 
feel the cup in my hands. Notice how my body's feeling. With externally, I feel a little bit of a little bit of cool air on my skin, a little tightness in my neck. Take a deep breath. And I notice with just that little split second of awareness how much more at ease my body feels. And then before, before drinking the tea, the cacao, whatever it is, I want to really just acknowledge it. Acknowledge, like, I'm looking at the cup and it's this beautiful, rich red color. I see there's like a few tiny little bubbles on the edge. And I notice that with the, the my own body movement, like the, the little bit of, a little bit of movement is, is making the, the liquid to just jiggle a little bit. And in the beauty way, we see the beauty in that. See the beauty in, in just that, like how, how precious these little bubbles are, how rich the color is. And uh, you know, I feel a little bit of heat in my hands. And then invoking the sense of smell, take a deep inhale. And notice what we feel in that scent. This one, this one feels like something new, fresh. It's got a little tangy bit to it that I, I notice that newness. And then harmonize with that. Mm, what feels new and delicious in my life right now? What's the intention that's arising in me? I love to say this. What intention is arising? Not what intention did I choose from my mind. But what intention is flowing upwards from my being, from my inner, my inner inner state, rather than a directive that I'm mentally giving it? And the intention that's flowing with me in this precise moment, with the smell of this, is to be open to the newness, to be open to the beginning. And then, as I drink the tea, I'm drinking in that intention. So I have my little sip. And everything about the sip is intentional. Do you feel the cup on your lips? Do you feel the liquid coming into your mouth, the tip of your tongue, the back of your mouth? Um, and you feel it as it, this one has a bit of a tang to it, and I feel that tanginess in like the back of my throat as I swallow. And yeah, something like that, if we do it with intention and awareness, can take, you know, time-wise a minute, two minutes, could be five minutes. But it, it really just allows us to just drop into that oneness that we have. And the plants, um, when we drink this tea, we're literally becoming one with it, right? Like it's, it's getting in there and our kidney and our liver and wherever it goes, <laughs> whatever it does. And so like each sip is a reminder of the oneness, a reminder that we are all one. And yeah, for anyone that's interested in that sort of thing, you know, just try that out in the morning. Try that out after a long day at work when you're like, getting ready to run off to the gym or go buy groceries. Can you just take a few take a few sips and remember the oneness and the connection that we have with our with the plant world? Mm. Oh my gosh. So beautiful. Yeah, for me it was you know, the this the, the scent of hibiscus and and, and berries. You know, just makes it just immediately makes me smile. It's like this, this sweetness, but not this like saccharine sweetness. This just natural sweet. And uh, there's also some some rose petals and some rose hips in there. And so, 
and the color as well. It's just like this dark red and all of the emotions associated with that. The um, just a deepness to it. And yeah, and so this is really a, a process of creating ceremony around everyday moments in our life and, and slowly start to turn our entire life into one big ceremony and, and a, a sacrament. Um, yeah. When I think about ceremony, like ceremony is like this holding container for a sequence of rituals and, and events and things that we're going to to create within that time frame, within that space that we, we mark for that, you know, for that allotted circle, that allotted, um, and, and with an intention. Yeah. We have a wedding ceremony, and, and that is, you know, for the intention of the unification of two lives. And, you know, we do rituals through that. We eat together, we dance together, we, you know, we make a ceremony of it. And I had the, the absolute honor and, and joy and pleasure of living in Bali, where ceremony is a way of life. And everything from a baby's, uh, they don't let their, their babies touch the ground for the first three months of their life. And they do a ceremony that's so beautiful for that baby to put his foot on the earth for the first time, to honor that connection with the mother. I mean, they have like a first, like, um, haircut, tooth filing, <laughs> you know, everything. It's like almost every day there's a ceremony for something. And it really is. Like when we start living in a sacred way, when we start living in a sacred way, life really does become a ceremony. And and I look at the span of life that we have, you know, however long it may be, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, <laughs> if we're lucky, um, it is that is the container for the, the ceremony of our life. And the more I work in ceremony, the more it is really like, you know, I'm cooking dinner and making a ceremony of that. I'm playing music with intention with the, as I chop the vegetables that are going to fill hungry bellies, the intention of love that I'm putting into that. And, and yeah, I feel like that is um, our ultimate flowering goal in this, in this way is like, can I live? my life in a way that every moment is a ceremony, every moment is sacred, full of, full of the, the emotion that life brings. And, and I want to mention too, I mentioned a ceremony for, for a celebration. There's also a ceremony for that. And it really welcoming in all that emotion, the sadness, the grief, and, and whatever, and honoring it, giving it a home, giving it a space so that we can so that we can continue to flow. Yes. And so often we have those like wedding ceremonies and we we have this high of, of, of just celebration and and everyone feels the joy and the love and then we go back to our normal daily lives and or whether it's a sacred a medicine ceremony as well and we, and then we, we, some of us keep wanting to go back to that space and chasing that space instead of taking that into our 
daily lives and integrating that. And integration is where the work really is. Yeah, yeah. And that's why little practices like this, you know, doing doing a little meditation with your with your cacao or your flower tea. Like maybe you do your cacao every morning and your flower tea every night. And I, I do sadhanas, you know, 40 day practices where we do just that. You know, it's a practice of of of, of developing that 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 um, muscle of, of daily dedication and devotion, and and I feel like with cacao and flowers, it's like if I'm going to be devoted to something and it's going to be work, I want it to be beautiful. <laughs> you know, I want it to be something I enjoy. So so that's that's one reason why I really gravitate towards towards these practices. And it's this isn't some esoteric woo-woo stuff like this is really practical for for daily life in that these sorts of of practices where you can slow down become more present and intentional with what you're doing i found is a gateway to the flow state a state that we're always chasing or some of us, you know, into biohacking or, or something and trying to get that perfect, you know, cocktail of nootropics to get us in that state. And more often for me, it's, it's that slowing down. It's that becoming present. It's that um, I have a practice that I've been doing that I've been trying to integrate more in, into my daily life. And that's uh, taking taking a moment to concentrate on just one of my senses wherever I am just a minute or two and this is an example of I'm trying to add more of these practices instead of reaching for my phone as soon as you have that that moment but I've found that even just something like that where you either you're closing your eyes or you're listening to the birds outside or smelling, you know, uh, food cooking in the kitchen. The more you can practice that actually helps with your focus, with your attention, so that you can bring more intention into into what you're doing. And I found it to have a, a very um, great effect on on achieving that flow state more more often. Yeah, I can see that you have just being in your presence here today, and, and as we've, we've interacted in, in our community, I can really see that you have cultivated that because there's a quality of your energy that it just invites me personally to slow down. It's like very grounding, very. Um, yeah, and it's it's so needed. I feel in a world where it's like I'm gonna do the next thing, more coffee. You know, I appreciate that, and uh, you know, something that I've, as I said before, I've been growing up just more comfortable. I was raised by all women, you know, and just more comfortable in my feminine side, in my in my in my flow. But I've also always been very gravitated towards the practice of stillness which i think is perhaps 
energetically more masculine. Like I'm, I'm not sure when I think of the divine masculine or, or that archetype, I do think of, you know, that presence, that stillness in the midst of a storm, the calm within the storm. And so that's something that I've started to connect with more and more and realized, oh, this is, this is a natural gift I have is, is just this art of stillness. And I'm realizing, oh, other people are, have really trouble just sitting there, you know? <laughs> so looking at that as, okay, this is, this is a, a gift I can offer people just in their presence or perhaps just a, a way of teaching that and how to integrate that more into their daily lives. Cause we can't, access divine information or higher self or subconscious even whatever sorts of terms you're comfortable with if if we're moving around all the time it we can't hear it it's there it's always communicating with us in some form or fashion but it's it's when we start to slow down, become more present, connect with our senses, connect with the tea, connect with the cacao, that's when those insights will come and that's when you'll be able to hear them. Um, I know for my my own mother and for all the the mothers that I know there's the time before and after um, that birth where and I know for you know, my mom, I wasn't planned. I was always, uh, it was never a thought, right? Like, it's this, we're, we're birthing, the, you know, this this child. But it wasn't an easy circumstance by any means. Very young, you know, 22, so much of life not figured out. You know, none of these sorts of uh, more mature qualities, having the time to cultivate or build or find yourself, so to speak. But there is that inner knowing. And, and once I was born, just everything shifted. And the perspective shifted and your your goals in life shifted everything and it was just like this is it this is there's not even another voice in your head you know it's just like this is my focus this is um my purpose in this moment and so i'd love to know you know for, from you and in your your journey how how that has changed or what in what ways
The path of Mother Theory is a path of full devotion. I don't think I or feel that I I really even knew what devotion was before having a child. I thought I did, and I did in certain ways. I also don't think that I truly, and I hear so many mothers and fathers say this, I truly knew the depth and the capacity and the infinite nature of love before having a child. And my journey into motherhood, I, as I begin to speak about this, I really want to allow like the emotion that I feel to just be present and be here because this touches at like the deepest layers of my soul. It touches at the ineffable within me. It touches the connection with the divine, with the creator, with the goddess. And my journey into motherhood was not one that I had planned. And I erroneously used the word accident. If you tell me it was an accident, it was not an accident. It was a surprise. And I know in the trajectory of my life that it was the divine plan for my life. Uh, it was the plan of my higher self, my soul, God. And when I became pregnant, it wasn't in the circumstances that I thought it should be in. It wasn't in the immaculate plan that I had for my life. But there was a deep, wise inner knowing, and that wild woman within me said, Yes, you. Yes. And I felt at the time I got pregnant, I had planned a year long world tour. I had incredible connections that I was going to do. I was offering cacao and, and festivals from the Faroe Islands to the mountains. <laughs> and um, it came at a time where I just, it felt devastating in some ways. I thought, you know, I fully embraced, I'm doing this. And I, I knew I wanted to, to, to be a mother and I didn't even really know what all that entailed. But, um, I remember thinking, like, I, I'm not going to be able to achieve my purpose. I was really concerned about the, the state of our planet, and I was doing a lot of um, charity events and promotional events around saving Mother Earth. You know, I'm like, the Amazon is dying when we've got to return to the mother. Like, can't you all see the wild cats are, are dying? And I was organizing these big events to, to raise awareness around that. And... Um, I thought that my, you know, I was like, I, I'm, now I'm going to have to devote to this. I guess, I guess I'm going to have to let that go. And I went through several ceremonies of the death of the maiden and the life that I had before. And if it weren't for ceremony and for, you know, this, this deep work that I've done, I don't know if I would have been able to make this transition without losing my mind. <laughs> but I really honored where I had been, all that I'd accomplished and there was so much grief and mourning and laying that to rest and knowing that I was going to go on this new path. And now I'm, I'm five years into it. My son's four, but since the moment I became pregnant was about almost five years ago. What I've learned is whenever we surrender, motherhood is much about, much about surrendering. When we surrender our will and our finite plan to the will of the divine, to, to a higher force. When we surrender that and we trust 
that the plans of the universe of God are benevolent, plans for us to prosper, and we say, not my will, but thine be done, when we truly do that, we will find the universe works in ways that we can never imagine. And I now see that my journey into motherhood, as difficult as it was in the timing that it was, that that empowered me. Like that, that journey, that, that pain, that mourning, that grief, and all of that. And now I see my son is not an impediment to my purpose, but he is the greatest asset to my purpose. He teaches me. I remember when I was, you know, I've had some tough times and I, uh, I avoid, I avoid the term single mother because I feel it has a connotation of shame and, oh, you shouldn't have done that, shame on you kind of thing and struggle. There's a lot with that that really has got to a point and like pisses me off. <laughs> um, and instead I choose to say independent mother or solo mother, but as your mother and, and the many women out there who are on this path, like it's not a path that you normally would say, oh, this is the choice that I'm going to make. And it takes great courage. Every woman who's chosen this path is one of the most powerful, courageous women alive because it takes great courage to, to, to take that task on. Normally women do it because a failing of the masculine, to be honest. A lot of toxic masculinity out there and men that don't step up and support in a way that's needed. So, so you know, it's a very, it's a very courageous path. But, um, yeah, I like to say independent mother or <laughs> solo mama because I, um, I see how it has, has really cultivated a lot of my own inner strength, my own inner fortitude and the little things that I teach about, you know, drinking tea or cacao reverently and as a meditation. When, when I had a little boy and I'm, I was doing several jobs and he's a baby and he's breastfeeding and I'm trying to do all these things by myself. And I longed for like, you know, I want to go to a yoga class. I want to go to a retreat and like take up, but I couldn't, I couldn't take off. I couldn't, I, I had to be there in that fire. However hard it was, however tired I was, if I was sick, I couldn't be like, no breastfeeding today. Like, you're on your own, little tyke. No, he would die. You know, like, no matter how sick I was, no matter how tired I was, I had to find that inner strength. And that's what connects you to spirit. When you have to go beyond what you think your physical capacity is, when you go beyond what your mental capacity is, and you dig deep and you find that wherewithal to continue. And that, that practice pushed me into things like, okay, I don't have time to sit for an hour and meditate and do my self-care. I'm going to make this washing dishes. This is my meditation. This is my practice. Changing my dirty diapers, wiping a little poopy butt. Mm-hmm. Like, that's my meditation in service and devotion to unconditional love and service and devotion to, to the divine. And that, um, that becomes our yoga. That becomes our karma yoga, like doing that in, in service to another. And uh, I've, I've learned so much about love. And I, 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 I see a lot of people that are sharing their wisdom on, on self-love. And, and often I feel like the second layer of that self-love uh, we, we find in when I truly love and give to another, I give to myself. It's one and the same. 
And, and if we focus too much on, oh, me, 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 and yes, we do need to fill our own cup too, but the child will make you realize that sometimes you have to put yours needs second. And I'm all for like women, you know, that really teach and cultivate, like we've got to fill our own cup. And as, as a solo mama, we really need to do that. But there will be moments as a mother and in our life, you know, in relationships where we need to develop the awareness and the more enlightened viewpoint that what I do and give for you is ultimately good for me. And that's, that's what I think uh, is a big lesson I've learned with motherhood. <laughs> Ooh, just letting all that sink in. Just so wonderful. And even on just the most micro level version of that, the, yeah, and I, for me recently, just sharing my natural gifts and abilities with another person and just seeing how much it affects them in uh, well, in unseen ways as well, there is nothing that that lights my heart on fire more that that gives me energy that empowers me more than that feeling of of giving to another and um, and from a micro as above so below you know so on a micro scale all the way to the grandest scale of, of motherhood and fatherhood. Um, so often, you know, I, I have a lot of new parents in my life now as well, and, and they've all said, there's no, there's no greater teacher. There's no greater mirror in our lives than that relationship, than... And um, and you obviously reflect that as well. And I just think that's such a great theme for this conversation as well, that energy. Giving to another is giving to ourself in whatever capacity. And slowing down, taking those moments to receive, to surrender to the greater will and not yours is where all the real magic happens. So what are some ways that people can reach you, get in touch with you, um, your facilitator offering as well. I'm on, on the social media platforms. I do Instagram and, and Facebook. And it's uh, Suzanne Zephyr. That's Suzanne Zephyr. And Zephyr is Z E P H Y R. It means a gentle breeze. For those who aren't familiar with that word. Uh, yeah, so Instagram, Facebook is the best way to reach me. I have a website, suzanne.com. It's all right. You have a women's group as well? Group on Facebook, and it's called Sister Queens, 
Sister Queen Lennon, uplifting women, and who's pretty regularly there, and a good group of women who share it on I do quite a few free uh, ceremonies a year. Like I'll do a, a few cacao rose ceremonies so that people that might not have an opportunity to do one of my programs or courses can inject it and get to experience that. So those are always listed in my Instagram. Hmm. Suzanne, it's an honor, it's a privilege, and um, I know that so many people listening will be profoundly affected by this conversation, so thank you for sharing your light and spreading your truth, being you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such a blessing to be in your presence and to see what your cultivated sense of stillness allows to arise. Thank you.